This sermon, The Church Strengthened, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, September 11th, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 18. I have a confession right up front. I think it'll serve correct. During worship, I feel like I'm about to lose my voice, and this morning I sipped my coffee too quick and fried my tongue, and it's now swelling. (laughs) But in light of what we're going to learn this morning, you're going to find out that there's a great truth that's being lived out right before us as well. Chapter 18, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 28. This is the end of journey two of Paul's gospel mission, his journeys, and the beginning of journey three. Let's pick up verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sintre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, which is the Jerusalem area, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from place to place, went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. Strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he, when Apollos, arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, with my strained voice, I I hear Paul saying it was not in his words, but it was by the power of the Spirit that the gospel was declared. And I pray this morning that what would be heard would be your voice. I pray that your word would be loud, and it would be loud in our soul. God, I pray for any person present that has not heard your voice, that they would hear your voice for the first time. Call them to yourself. Reveal your son to them. Be merciful to them. God, thank you for being merciful 
to me. Remind me throughout the message. Remind us all throughout the message how good you have been to us if we have heard your voice. Holy Spirit, superintend the preaching of your word and magnify Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in our text this morning, at the end of that one journey, in the beginning of the next, end of the second, and the beginning of the third, we have two men. Paul will later say in Corinthians, servants. We have two servants. And it's almost as if they're juxtaposed, but they're not compared in a negative light with each other. We hear of Paul, and we hear of Apollos. Through the lives of these two servants, Paul and Apollos, Jesus' church is strengthened and helped. So I've summarized the text today, if there's even any way to do that. Jesus' church is strengthened and helped by servants that he has strengthened and helped. Jesus' church is strengthened. That is what Jesus has been doing throughout the ages. He, we heard it this morning he says, it's better that I leave, that you would receive the Spirit, the helper. He has been helping his church. What we're finding in our text today, the way that he's helping this church as well is because he is strengthening and helping the two servants that are strengthening and helping the church. So I broke this down into two larger sections, or actually three larger sections. One is that they're strengthened, the church is strengthened mightily by Paul. And then the second thing we'll look at is they're greatly helped. The church is greatly helped by Apollos. And the third thing is, and let's consider what's going on with these two guys and how the Lord is using them. And the first one is the church is strengthened mightily by Paul. The church is strengthened mightily by Paul. Now, you'll want to stay close to your text today because we're going to go almost verse by verse. And hopefully, it won't feel like lightning speed, but we are going to move through this. And we'll let the volume of the text capture our affections for Christ. Let's do that together. After this, Paul stayed for many days longer, and then he took leave there in verse 18. He took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. Now, what we're going to look at is about five things under this, five sub-things, if you want to consider that. Under this, the church being strengthened mightily by Paul. Calvin would write about verse 18, and he's pointing back into the verses right before this that's Der- that Derek preached last week as we hear God's word and Jesus speaking to Paul in verse 9, do not be afraid, Paul. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. Calvin remarks about verse 18, fear did not drive Calvin away. That's the first thing we're looking at. Fear did not drive him away, did not drive Paul away. Paul stayed. Paul stayed, and we hear that in almost the very next breath. Paul stayed many days longer. He was already with them for months and days, and now he continues and he remains. He remains with them. He did not let fear direct his heart, and Jesus personally made certain of this. A lot of times we'll hear what an amazing person Paul was. But what, we find, what we're finding out right now in our text, Paul is an amazing guy who is just like you and I. He's given over to fear at times. He'll write to Timothy later, be of courage, Timothy. 
Be of courage, Timothy, a great apostle writing to a young pastor. Be encouraged. Don't let people look down on you being a young pastor. Be of courage. Well, this pastor struggled at times. Paul, the apostle, struggled, and he is being encouraged. But we know from verse 9, he's encouraged by Jesus himself. And, you know, and we know that he's with Paul. He says, and one of the reasons Paul is encouraged, and he's not given over to fear, is he knows that he is present through the fear that is significant. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and we're going to be looking at Corinthians along with that, but you don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, we know that, and the Lord said to Paul, well, we know, we'll look, consider that in just a second, but here in verses 9 and 10 is the Lord speaks to Paul in that vision, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear. He writes it like this. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you to the Corinthians, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear, much trembling. The original translators of the text says Paul is scared in a sense to death. There is much persecution going on. He doesn't know if he's going to continue, and Jesus himself comes to him and strengthens him, and so he remains. Verse, the second part of verse 18, he's devoted to God for the sake of the gospel. Did you see that Paul got a haircut? It's a strange text, isn't it? And for us, normally when we read it, like, that is weird. He stopped by the barber, and then, well, why would Luke include this? Well, it says, for he was under a vow. Considering what the commentators would say with this, is there's probably a twofold reason that's going on. Some weigh in on one. Let's consider that just for a second. This may seem strange to us, but it was common for a Jew to consecrate himself before the Lord during or after a devoted time before, uh, before the Lord, um, and it could last for days. Sometimes they would get their hair cut during this time of devotion. Now you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Paul is not the preacher of the law. He's the preacher of Jesus. Why would he be cutting his hair? Wouldn't that be him devoting himself over to the law again? Well, if you know Paul, Paul continued on doing many things, but he never, in this text, should not be used to say, oh, wait, now we're supposed to obey the law and do these vow hair cuttings. No, that's not what it's saying. It means that Paul was devoted to the Lord. And likely in a time of devotion, one of the things he did was cut his hair because he personally would do those things. But that second consideration about what Paul is doing is he's also going to be speaking to the Jew. Now, the, the, the text may sound difficult, like, well, wait a minute, this speaks pretty harshly to the Jews, meaning the Jewish religious leaders Paul is going to be before them. And it is likely, again, Paul is making a way for the gospel. Remembering what comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 20, becoming as a Jew in order to win Jews, Paul would write. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So in a sense, Paul likely is also saying to me, getting this haircut during this time of vow and concentration is not a big deal, but to them it will be. I'm going to remove the big deal so that they will get the message of the gospel. He's making a way for the preaching of the gospel, all for the sake of preaching the good news of Jesus. Paul was personally devoted to God in a time of devotion, absolutely, and during this time, making a way that Jesus, the one 
the one he's devoted to. He's making a way that he could preach him. Paul's devoted to God, to Christ Jesus, certainly. But the third thing that we're looking at in this, not the major point, if you're taking notes, is he preached Jesus, the center of all his life and the efforts, uh, center of all his life and efforts and the only rock on which the church will stand. Now, something I didn't point out to you at the beginning, but now I think is the right thing, is the reason I'm using the word strengthen and helped is from verses 23 and 27. The summary statement in my mind about that first section of 18 through 23 is ending with strengthening all the disciples. And verse 27 is he greatly helped them. He greatly helped the believers. Well, Jesus is what Paul is preaching. His strengthening of the church is by preaching Christ to them. In fact, this is the very strength for the church, the very rock and foundation of the church. And as we move through the text, we'll see even further what kind of man Paul was, again, to find himself being moved deeply by this. He lived and moved and had his being in Jesus. That's what moved this man. So here in verse 19, that second half of 19, he preaches Jesus to them. The words in the text is, he reasoned with the Jews. But we know from the greater context, he's telling them that Jesus is the Christ. This is the rock bed for Paul. And he believes this is the way that even the believers later in the church will be grounded and strengthened. In the scriptures, Paul will call himself a slave of Jesus. He so identifies with Jesus, he willingly bonds himself as a bondservant to Jesus. And it's inextricable for Paul. He knows that the Lord himself has now bound Paul to himself, that Jesus has bound Paul to himself, but he has willingly bound himself to Jesus. This is the one of whom that he originally hated and was going after devotees to Jesus. He's going after every one of them. He hated Jesus, and now every one of the believers, he loves them with all of his heart. And so he preaches out of this soul that has been transformed for Christ. He now sees Jesus as the Christ, and he will, not, he will, uh, will not remain silent about Christ. He's going to go, and he's going to preach Jesus. Paul's words to Timothy near the end of his life. So fast forward to the very end of his life. In a sense, Paul could say his life began that day when the Lord meets him on the road and wakes him up to his need for the Savior and saves him. Listen to what he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 through 17. He writes these words. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, The message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so he preached Jesus. Verse 21, back in Acts 18. In those words, I will return to you if the Lord wills. Now, I wish you all had met my dad. My dad passed away when he was 49. I was 21, I believe, somewhere in there. Now you know, you can figure out the 
how old I am now, but my dad was 49. And I remember growing up during the early years, particularly with my dad, and uh, I had three brothers, and we were riding around in the cars. Those of you that have a lot of kids, God bless you. And if all you have is boys, my mom would say, extra blessings from the Lord. Uh, the four of us riding around with dad. But I, we're all the time hounding him. When are we going to eat? Where are we going to go? When are we going to get there? But I remember when dad would make a comment, he would say, hey, this coming Saturday, we're going to go whatever it was. We're going to go to the you know, public pool, or we're going to go fishing. Now we're starting to bug him all week long. And I remember... And you can ask any of my brothers this question. What was dad's common answer when we would ask him, hey, are we going to be going to the pool in the morning? Dad would answer, the Lord willing. Now, over time, we discovered in the family, plans changed. And I personally remember when dad said, the Lord willing, I privately thought, oh, well, then it's not certain meaning, great, we might not get to go. Paul's not doing this in this text. Paul literally means what he's saying. I will return to you if God wills. Don't miss the first part. Paul's desire is that he would go right back to them. I will return to you if God wills. Oh, but don't miss the second part, which is what every believer needs to know and every young person needs to know as well. The power and effect and the outcome of these three words, if God wills, cannot be measured. They preach themselves, but our earthly nature dulls our senses in regard to these three words. We privately go off like I did as a little boy. Well, then it's not certain. But they are certain in God's will. God's will is certain. Paul had entrusted himself to the will of God. Tim and I were talking this morning about what application in the message would look like today. Some of the points preach the application is that you and I would believe again. It's all going to happen according to God's will. Let that comfort your soul. My dad's response to me, I should have believed what he was saying because I believe my dad really did mean that. We really are going to go camping if the Lord wills. It was his desire that we would go. So he would share what Paul is doing. In our minds, in our will, and our plans, and our forecasts, and our futuristic thoughts, and our predictions, and our forethought, and our tomorrow, our rules our world, doesn't it? This is what we plan to do. But in reality, our future is ruled by if God wills. Every, and I had to Google this one, every septosecond, zeptosecond, I don't even know how to say it. That's smaller than a nanosecond, okay? Of our past, every zeptosecond of our past and our present and the, are the result of his sovereign will. Spurgeon describes the orbit of a dust particle in a light beam is ordained by the Lord. Every dust particle in a light beam is ordained by the Lord. I desire to be with you. I will return to you. 
the Lord willing. Paul is acknowledging the reality, not just putting them off, like, well, I'll get back to you if I'm able. He sincerely desires to be with them. And yet he reminds them that this is the sovereign will of God. So here's the result of what we've been looking at in verse 22 through 23. Let's read that together. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch, without a doubt across the board. This is clear. He went up to Jerusalem and then back down to Antioch. If you find that on your map, you'll see that. It's that city on a hill. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. He greatly strengthened the churches. The sense in the text is he didn't just give them some strength. He strengthened them with a mighty strength. Feel the cadence of Paul's mission in verse 23, from one place to the next. The churches are built up from one place after another. Paul moves through each in power and authority as the apostle, the one who had planted each one of these churches after all, but not superseding any of the efforts of the local pastors of these churches. So let's use our sanctified imaginations just for a minute. Can you imagine how refreshing and how good it was for those pastors if we just talk about the pastors to get Paul back in, even if it's for a short visit? What strength it must have brought them, those pastors, those leaders of those local churches that Paul had planted, to have Paul again to gather with those leaders and to care for them, their wives and their children, for them to receive in person, in person Paul's encouragement and strengthening words like the ones he spoke to Timothy. Here are the words he speaks to Timothy in his letter, Timothy 4 through 6, 16. I'll just read 6. If you put these things, Timothy, before the brothers, you will be a good servant in Christ, trained in the words of the faith and good doctrine that you have followed. Can you imagine pastor after pastor, pastor family after pastor family saying, be of courage. Well, all the more for the church and their excitement, new believers and newcomers and guests, gathering with the old church planter, Tim, with some of the new members of the church and marveling with the church planner of the grace of God. Can you imagine what encouragement the original members and now new members of the churches must have had in person with the man who had suffered for Christ? Hearing his original testimony that he was causing Christians to suffer, he then began to suffer for Christ and then encouraged them like he writes to, and if you would turn to this one, to uh, Philippians chapter one. Let's read Philippians chapter one, verses three through 11 together. Philippians one, three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer, imagine Paul repeating these words in person, in church after church, and then to our church, if that were the case. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer 
with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of the grace. Behold, in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Hear Paul's encouragement personally in your church, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Church after church after church, mightily encouraged by the Apostle Paul. You know, what's interesting is remembering Paul was able to strengthen the church because and after he personally was strengthened. Second, the church is greatly helped by Apollos. The church is greatly helped by Apollos. Now we're picking up. You can turn back to Acts 18. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came from Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Apollos greatly helped the church. Verse 27 is what it summarized. We just read the beginning of the section. We get to the end of the section. He greatly encourages the believers. Verse 24 says he was an eloquent man and he was competent in the scriptures. The combined effect is this guy is well-educated and he can speak publicly like none other. Rare could anybody rival this man's public ability. He had a unique ability to communicate. And as I even penned these words in my notes, I thought, dear Lord, how in the world am I going to say anything about Apollos? When I'll, I'll transpose names, I'll leave really important words like not and never out of a sentence and say blasphemy at times, even in the middle of the message, I'll refer to the wrong guy as Barnabas or Barabbas or a few weeks ago, Jim or Phil, and I've not been, let, been allowed to be, forget my fumbling uh, in moments like that. This guy, I'll bet, rarely had a misstep in his speech. The feel of the text is this guy, one of the reasons he's uh, so well-schooled is because of where he is schooled. He is schooled in a manner through the Alexandrian uh, way of thinking and the public way of communicating. This guy, he's a rock star in his ability to communicate. Now, before we go any further, some of you may be thinking ahead, like in 1 Corinthians, like Paul says, well, it wasn't with, you know, words of wisdom. He's not comparing himself to to. Paulus in this case, or we're going to look at those two together in just a minute. Remember who Paul was before we go much further. Paul describes himself, I guess only in a humble way that Paul could say, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was the most highly educated Pharisee you could meet. 
So it's not like we're talking about a country bumpkin, me, and Apollos. These guys are at the top of their class on their ability to communicate. They know things I will never know in volume. Never know. And here we have this guy, Apollos. I was hoping to even pronounce the guy's name right. And he was eloquent. And he was competent. But he was competent and eloquent in the scriptures as well. He didn't just have game in his ability. He had game in what he was saying. You could ask him anything about the scriptures, and I'll bet he could wisely answer just about every question. And maybe illustratively, this will help you. Years ago, there were a number of pastors that gathered that are part of Sovereign Grace, and they witnessed a young student at a seminary ask, I believe, and I even may be wrong about this. In fact, I'm only going to call him out by name. Because of my inability, I'm just going to say it was a really smart guy. He's been described as the foremost New Testament author alive on the planet today. And of all that he knows, he knows the book of Acts that we're preaching out of today. He knows the Alexandrian culture. He knows the Jewish culture. He knows Acts forward and backward. And this young seminary student said, well, the other day in Q&A, I was reading through Acts. Are you familiar with it? And we heard in the story a loud moan across the room of like this poor kid asking this guy this dumb question. And I immediately identified with that kid. That would be me. I read Acts the other day when the speaker could say, I've been studying it for centuries, well, decades. See, I don't even get my math right. And the man humbly said, I'm a little familiar with it. And he started with, and to answer his question, because the kid had a question, started with Genesis, and he worked his way through biblical history to Revelation and answered the young man. Well, C.J. Mahaney gathered all of the pastors at the end, and he said to all the Sovereign Grace pastors, do not ask any questions at the conference, because you're going to reveal our ignorance. This is not Apollos. Apollos was that guy. He was one of the foremost. His ability to communicate is out of this world. And he also had a holy zeal. This description uh, of him in verse 25 is he was fervent in spirit. In fact, the translators will even footnote this and say he was fervent in the spirit. The combined effect is he personally, internally is moved by the scriptures and he's empowered by God himself and moved according to the scriptures. And then he's also accurately and boldly knowing of Christ so far of what he knows. It's very clear of what it says here in verse 25. Let's read that together. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. It's code word, the gospel. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He was precise about what he knew about Jesus. Can we, is another one of these application questions, can we say the same about ourselves? Can we accurately communicate the truth about Jesus that we would know? 
this man had this ability. But what's interesting, and we find out immediately in the text, is this amazing couple with her name stated first, when Priscilla and Aquila, verse 26, heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Did you catch it? He's good at what he does, but he does not know it all. And they come alongside him and they give him the more accurate understanding. John the Baptist is what we find out in the text. John the Baptist, he did know accurately, according to John the Baptist's message of Jesus, and John the Baptist preached it accurately because he is the transitional prophet that describes himself, that he is the one making the way for the coming Lamb of God. Can you imagine being John the Baptist? What a responsibility The prophets have been silent for hundreds of years, and now you personally are called out by God, sent out into the wilderness, living off of locusts, and wearing very rough clothing, is what it sounds like. Accurately teaching the coming Lamb of God, and Apollos knows this inside and out, but Priscilla and Aquila know something that he does not know. And that is about baptism in particular, that now there is a new baptism. John's baptism is pointing. John's baptism pointed sinners to repentance, pointed them to Jesus as the Christ who was coming. Repent, the Christ is coming. Repent, Christ is here. Behold the Lamb of God, John will say in 129, who takes away the sin of the world. But Priscilla and Aquila are delivered to this guy in person as a gift, but as a gift to the church as well. And they help him see the way of God more accurately. Take him out privately. They don't rebuke him publicly. And they say, Apollos, what you're saying is right. This is what needs to be added. I don't know what it was. I don't know what the words were. But we know it was now more accurate. The scriptures are very clear. Now, here's something about Apollos' nature and character that's revealed in this text. This point reveals that Apollos was humbly teachable. That's not common today. To be the rock star and to be the most knowledgeable and to have the ability to communicate it like no one else on the planet is going to be a huge temptation to any man or any woman. And Apollos' response is he receives it and he applies it. He hum, he's humbly teachable is the phrase that I would love to describe him as. He receives the instruction, he receives the correction, but he does so in humility and he immediately applies it. In verse five, he went on preaching Jesus. He did not stop speaking, but he got right back to it. In fact, his speaking of Jesus only is ramped up and is now only more accurate as now as he, um, he wishes to cross over to Achaia. And when he arrives, he greatly helps the church. What an amazing moment in church history when we consider this. This man who seemingly has it all, we find out doesn't, but he receives more accurate, more accurate information and just goes right back to it. Thank God 
for his humility. Paulus had some serious game, but what was critical was that he preached Jesus and that he did it accurately. So maybe a sideline for preachers and for future preachers or anyone who's going to preach the gospel. A healthy preacher of Jesus is always growing in their knowledge of Jesus. In fact, I think it's safe to say we tend to forget things about him. We cannot assume that this is the case, that we're always going to have it, and we cannot assume that we've always got it right. We need to be humble like Apollos. I heard the story, a sad story, that's currently happening in my hometown. In a church that's not connected to us, but a family member of mine reached out to me and talked to me about something that we had already heard was happening. One of the preachers of the gospel in the city has now turned into a preacher of himself. And I listened to an excerpt from one of his messages and I thought, oh, there it is. And without God's help, I could do the same. Something happened along the way and he began to hear criticism from some of the people in his church that in his preaching, he needed to preach more accurate. And instead of saying, you're right, he began to add to his pulpit ministry defense of himself and basically said, I'm doing just fine, thanks. And has driven every one of them from his church. Well, juxtapose that to the preacher that I heard that for years was teaching from the faith version of Christianity and sometimes not even Christian at all. He had raised a church up preaching the gospel of prosperity, which is no gospel at all, for years. And reading the scriptures, and by the dear hand, I believe, of his wife and his brother, helped him see he was an heir. And he immediately repented. And the very next Sunday, without telling any of the elders in his church, stood in the pulpit and said he was wrong and preached against his old doctrine and preached faithfully Jesus. The next week, he would lose thousands of members in his church as the church kicks him out. He loses his pastorate and has to leave altogether. And at the time of the interview that I saw with him, his church was about 300. And it wasn't any of the former people in his church. They all stayed. But this man received the doctrine more accurate and repented and began to preach. Paul did not let fear stop him. He received Jesus' encouragement, applied it, and continued on. Apollos did not let pride stop him. <clears throat> he received the correction and applied it and continued on. And the result is in verse 27 and 28. He greatly helps the church. He greatly helped those who through grace had been saved. And I love the phrase describing these believers. The focus now shifts to the church, the believers in Jesus. And there is this mention of grace, those who through grace had believed. Now, if you're a good reformer like me, you're immediately like, see, they're saved and they're saved by grace alone. And it is true. But what I found out 
through author after author that are reformed in their thinking saying it's twofold in the text. Their salvation is by grace alone, but they are greatly helped by the help that comes through the means of grace through good leadership in Apollos. This grace is twofold. The overarching grace of salvation is certain and true and is not undermined. It is certainly preached loudly and explicitly in the text. And then, and only then, it includes the means of grace that the church receives through the powerful help that Apollos was to them. Grace, it makes a lost sinner, a believer in Jesus. And then and only then, grace that comes further to the believer through the means of spirit-empowered leadership, not forgetting the grace of the believers themselves who had helped this spirit-filled leader, Priscilla and Aquila. Don't miss that. What a huge means of grace the body of Christ is to the man who preaches to the body of Christ. We are so desperate for one another in our help and encouragement this way. But there is real grace coming from this kind of leadership. How kind of God to have given us Paul, the prolific New Testament writer. How kind of God to have given us Apollos, whose voice could probably be heard among thousands of people as he preached and throughout the ages given us preacher after preacher able to do the same. The congregation is always growing in their knowledge of Jesus. And this makes them a healthy church that they would always grow in their knowledge of Jesus. A church that is greatly helped grows all the more in strength. A healthy and humble preacher builds the church up in Christ and against the wilds of Satan. Evildoers set against the church and come against it and they will uh, be readily uh, opposed those, they will readily oppose those who follow Jesus, particularly as they preach and make a way for Christ. And Paulus now powerfully refutes these evildoers. We find that in the last text. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus, correcting these wrong religious leaders humbly, helping them see they needed a savior. Jesus' church is strengthened and helped by servants, by servants that Jesus himself has strengthened and helped. First, we've considered looking at the church that has strengthened, that has been strengthened mightily. We now look at the church that has been greatly helped. And finally, consider these two servants together. Let's look at Paul and Apollos, and then I will end. Charles Spurgeon speaks of this in a sermon he preached years ago. Dear friends, Paul, um, Spurgeon says, do not imagine that God will only bless, uh, will bless one preacher only or one denomination only. He does bless some preachers more than others for he is a sovereign God. But he will bless you all in your work for he is God. I'll never forget one day when my dear old grandfather, Spurgeon writes, was alive. I was to preach the sermon. There was a great crowd of people, and I did not arrive, for the train was delayed. And therefore, the venerable man commenced to preach in my stead. My grandfather was far on in his sermon when I made my appearance at the door. And looking at me, he said, You all have come here to hear my dear grandson. 
and therefore I will stop that you may hear him. He may preach the gospel better than I can, but he cannot preach a better gospel. Can you, Charles? <laughs> the sweet moment between a grandfather and a grandson, but listen to what Spurgeon says to his grandfather. My answer from the aisle, as I just see the scene, what a crazy moment. I answered from the aisle, I cannot preach the gospel better, but if I could, it would not be a better gospel. Now we can go and look at what 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 9 is saying when now we consider these two men. Paul will write to the Corinthian church saying, oh, I like Paul. And the other says, well, I like Apollos. And listen to how Paul solves this. He says, for one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. And you are not being, uh, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. 4 verse 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for 3, sorry, thank you. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul saying all of these things about him and Apollos, the Lord is the one building the church, not the men. God is building the church. We are fellow workers. Both of these servants would tower over any of us, but they are pointing us to Jesus. They strengthen and help, help the church. They point the church to Jesus. The gift of leadership is, is a powerful thing, but in the end, it will be pointless if we have not been pointing to Jesus. Jesus saves. Paul does not. Jesus saves. Apollos does not. There is no better gospel other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I could have the band join me. Sovereign Grace music, and it's not in the song we're singing. I'm not that good to have got this to them in time. But there's a phrase, there's a verse in one of their songs that says, sons of disgrace are righteous made. Let's consider Paul and Apollos just for a second. These two servants were once dead in their sins, and without Jesus' mercy on them, they would have gone on. Paul would have been the best Jewish Pharisee. The other holding Apollos, holding crowds captive by his words and his knowledge. Lost men, though, leaving their disciples lost. Blind men, leading blind men and women straight to hell. This has not been the case. The miracle of the gospel got hold of Paul and got hold of Apollos. Sons of disgrace have now been righteous made. If you're an unbeliever in Christ, have hope in this. 
You may have all together, and not yet in the end. You may have it all together, and not yet in the end. You will certainly be lost on all that you think you have together. But by the power and the mercy of God, the good news is Jesus forgives you and forgives me. Paul would have come alongside you. If you've not believed in Christ, maybe consider our story this morning. Paul would come alongside you and would have spoken of you, told you, you're not clean. Your righteousness cannot save you. You must believe in Christ. Apollos would come beside you, and he would have found your eyes in the crowd, possibly, and he would have locked on, and he would have looked seemingly at the depth of your soul, and he would have preached the good news that he, too, had been saved by. He would have preached of the forgiveness that has come, that is now only found in Jesus, the promised one of God, the Christ, is Jesus, he would say to you. Both have been greatly helped. Both have greatly encouraged the church. So church, receive that encouragement. Be strengthened by the gospel and go. If I could have you stand, please. Go with renewed courage. Go with courage that is granted by God and grounded in the words of the gospel that now strengthens you. We have heard it. Now, apply it. Receive it humbly and go and live in it. Let us go and tell those who so desperately need to hear. At times we may be scared to death. We're worried about our reputation. But in this room are teachers and doctors and waitresses and grandmothers and high schoolers, moms of toddlers, construction workers, retired businessmen, real estate sales reps, doctors, nurses, engineers, former IT professionals. I'll raise my hand for that one. Jewelers all strengthened and helped by the gospel, all strengthened and helped to build the church. Let's pray.